Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. Just showing up is a good thing. Or if you you can find a more kind of niche group, you know, like, oh, this group is for Black women in particular. That can be good, too. You don't have to be super into it, but just showing up, I think is good. You don't have to join the black fraternity or sorority, you know, just being around. I think the people is important or just showing up to events. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, We release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit CultivatingHerspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Herspace, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. All right, lady, today we have a very special guest and we are talking about a very important topic to us Black folks. So let's just jump on in. We're going to go ahead and dive into our bio, and then we're going to jump into this juicy conversation. Antar A. Tichavakunda received his PhD in urban education policy from the University of Southern California. Currently, he's an assistant professor of race and higher education at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Born and raised in Washington, D.C., Antar is a product of D.C. public schools and earned a Bachelor of Arts in Education Studies from Brown University. Prior to his doctoral studies, Antar worked as an 11th grade English teacher in D.C. public schools. Using qualitative inquiry, Antar has engaged in research on college campus readiness, Black students' experiences at predominantly white institutions, and more broadly, the sociology of race in higher education. His published work can be found in Urban Education, Education Policy, Race, Ethnicity, and Education, The Review of Higher Education, and Educational Studies. His first book, Black Campus Life, The World's Black Students Make at a Historically White Institution, is published with Sunny Press. Antar enjoys watching anime, eating soul food, especially savory grits, and writing in cafes. All right, Antar, welcome to Cultivating Hair Space. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. We're super excited for this conversation. All right. So we are going to dive into our quote of the day. When you do the common things in life in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. And that quote is from George Washington Carver. I'm going to say that again for the folks in the back so that we really understand what this conversation is about. 
When you do the common things in life in an uncommon way, you will command the attention of the world. All right. So, Antar, when you hear that quote and you think about our conversation for the day, what what comes up for you? That's such a good question. I don't know. I I think about as a. I don't know. So so I'm, I'm a researcher. Right. And I think recently I was talking to some students, you know, I work, work with students in different capacities at different universities. And I was just talking about research more broadly. And I, 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 one of the things I said was like, if you can look at something, one of the big things about research, for my opinion, that I find most rewarding is when I can look at something that everyone kind of takes for granted, but then turn it on, turn it on, turn it on its head. Right. And we can see something completely different from that, right? So taking what's common, the quotidian, the taken for granted, and looking at looking at it from like a new place of rigor, from a different vantage point. And I think that's kind of like the beauty of research, right? And I think in my work, similarly, I, I try to look at something that is taken for granted as far as Black students' experiences in predominantly white institutions. And I look at it from a very different or uncommon way to try to do my research. And that's typically through a lens of joy, through a lens of agency I and mean, that type of thing. But I'll stop there. All right. I feel like we're going to have a really great conversation today. So let's just take a, take a quick detour, Antar. And can we talk about your origin story? What is your origin story and how has your personal history shaped your research focus and your career trajectory? Thank you for the question. I, I just love that question because it makes me feel like a superhero. You know, I'm like, dang, like there's Marvel, there, there's Iron Man, then there's Antar. Let's get it. Um, <laughs> so I, when I when I think about that, it's like, oh, where do I start this story? And to be very honest, I think it started in college, especially given the type of work that I do. It started in college. I started as an economics major and I took one course on education policy. And that was the class that I got an A in the only class I got an A in my first semester. <laughs> and that was also the class that, you know, I was doing what I was uh, quote unquote supposed to be doing. That was the class I was doing the extra reading for. I was going to office hours. I was, you know, I, I was really passionate about it. I mean, in part because when I was reading these articles and stories about controversies in education, I was seeing part of my story, my friends' stories, you know, my family's stories and stuff that I, in some ways, experienced firsthand as a product of DC public schools. I mentioned the economics major thing because I took this class and then I just I, I kind of let go of econ. I also got a C in econ. I also was skipping classes in econ. You know, for anyone parents listening, make sure students go to class. Your kids go to class. But but really, I wasn't passionate about it. And it's related back to education. I remember when I got to my econ class, I was struggling. I was like, all these graphs, and I'm, I'm trying to understand supply demand, all that. And one of my friends was he was breezing through it. Right. And he told me that he took an, an advanced placement or AP econ class. And I was like, oh, y'all had, had that, <laughs> you know, so a lot of it was review for him. And so I started thinking about like, oh, wait, how can it be that I attended what was thought to be the quote unquote best public school in Washington, D.C., yet I still felt woefully unprepared in this class. Right. And that was a more of a resource access issue. So. All of these things kind of contributed to my interest in education. All right. So we're going we're gonna to circle back. So you were an, initially an econ major and then you switched. How did your how did your family react? Because we know there's lots of parents that are listening. 
And oftentimes family, they send their kids off to college and they're like, we want you to pursue X, Y, Z major. And then when the, the students get there and they, you know, they're skipping class and they're making C's and sometimes D's and F's. How did your family react when you let them know that like econ ain't for me anymore? That's that's such a good question. And I, I was laughing when you asked because number one, it's, it's a real question, right? Like as parents, you want to give or try to give the most security to your to your kids, you know. And my mom was looking at me. And I remember we we had this conversation where I was nervous to tell her, like, yeah, I want to major in education. And she's like, all right, we're going to this fancy school, you know, Brown, Ivy League, all that. She's like, we're going to this fancy school and you want to be a teacher? <laughs> and I was like, I mean, education matters, you know? So it, it wasn't, she was not super happy about it to begin with. And I, I, I spoke with my advisor. He wasn't even my advisor, actually. He was the, the professor of that class, but he was acting as an advisor. And one of the things he told me that I really kind of stuck to for better or worse and kind of has helped me. He was like, if you're, if you're doing what you love, what, what you love and you're like really passionate about it, really working towards it, he's like the security and money is going to come, you know, but you know, like that's going to pay dividends, just really investing in what you love. So, yeah, I mean, so as far as like advice for parents, uh, I, I think you all can see how serious, you know, your kids are being about something. And I was very serious about education once I really got into it and it, it's it's worked out, you know, but it, it was not, <laughs> yeah, my, my family was not super happy to begin with, but about that. Yeah. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Because I think many of us have heard those stories of people who go into career paths, right? They spend all this money. Sometimes they take out these loans and they get into the career and then they're like, I'm not happy. Like I want, I got the money, but it's not, that's not enough. Right. So I love that you share that feedback. So parents, I know it might be tough if you, if you don't agree with the career path that your student is on, but really, like you said, when you follow the happiness, the funds and the resources will come. Hey lady, it's Terry here. Dom and I want to take a moment to thank you for choosing to listen to our podcast. We love you for real, and we want to give you a chance to learn more about what's important to us. So tell us what you think about this. Imagine a world where you have a chance to get featured on the Cultivating Her Space podcast and share your business, brand, or perspective with millions around the globe. Imagine joining our monthly virtual video check-ins where you can connect with like-minded Black women like you and share your ideas and episode suggestions with Terry and I. Now I want you to imagine a world where you're in the exclusive Cultivating Her Space Sanctuary Slack channel and throughout your day and week, you are conversing with us about what's happening in your life and sharing funny gifts and your personal wins. How does that sound? Hopefully this is up your alley, lady, because we are taking things to the next level this year and we're doubling down on investing in our community. That means you. Yay. We want to meet you, connect with you, and create communities of genuine women who love on Black women and push our culture and movement forward. We launched this podcast in 2019, and to date, we have not missed a week. We've been great stewards of our platform, all while working full-time and navigating our own ups and downs. We release fresh new content every single Friday, like clockwork, and we have hundreds of valuable episodes and workshops that can really help you uplevel your life. So if you love our mission or you've gotten value from us, we invite you to give back and help us push this community effort forward. 
Visit herspacepodcast.com and click Patreon. You can learn more about our goals and exclusive offerings on Patreon. And we highly, highly encourage you to join the Sister Frontier so that you can get some one-on-one time with us. We also have an option for you to donate on a one-time basis if that meets your needs. Again, herspacepodcast.com and you can click that link that says Patreon. All right, lady. We'll hop right back into the conversation. So another question that will help the parents here, how can parents and loved ones support their Black students who are attending predominantly white or Hispanic serving institutions? I think number one, just, just hearing them out, you know, like just, just hearing them. And I know it sounds basic, but at, at least for me, right? Like I, I feel like I'm, I'm young-ish. I'm the youngest. I'm 33, right? My, my hairline won't say it, but I'm young-ish. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I look at some of the students now and I'm just like, wow, there really is a generational divide, you know, like, like, I mean, back in my day, I'm, I'm big for it back in my day already. And, you know, with everything going on, like we got AI, we got this, we got that, we got all this knowledge at our fingertips. Sometimes I find myself like, what are y'all complaining about? You know? And so it's hard for me sometimes, even as a professor to like, all right, let me hear you, let me hear you out, you know? And I think for parents it's similar Despite all the knowledge and access to information that's at our fingertips, we have to be able to hear our kids and our students and see really where they're at, because there are some very real issues that a lot of students are dealing with, especially black students. So given like so think about black students in particular, one, hear them two, I think also encourage them to join organizations of whatever sort. Right. You got to join an organization because that's going to keep you kind of anchored to the campus. One of the things that I see with students is who kind of start drifting is that they don't feel an attachment to campus. So if they're part of an organization, whether it's a racial affinity organization and by racial affinity, I mean like a black student union. I mean, like, I don't know, what is it? A Caribbean Students Association, something like that. Or if it's something that's not related to race at all, maybe it's like a a capoeira club or a breakdancing club, right? You want to have that rootedness to the campus. So join or encourage them to join an organization, ask them who they're kicking it with, you know, that type of stuff. And I think that's going to be very, that's going to be very helpful. So really affirming that and, you know, people are different, but I think it's super important, especially when you're you're a black student at a predominantly non-black institution to be in these racial affinity organizations. It is important and imperative to, in my opinion, even if you didn't grow up around black people like that, to show face at the black student union meetings, to show face at the school's black cultural center or multicultural center. All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone, not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans, and it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR, 
Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black stories, Black truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the Rich Black Auntie. It was good. Now, you know, Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Because sometimes, like, you know, you, I pray this never happens to anyone, but sometimes racism, anti-blackness in particular, happens. And regardless if you are at an HSI, if you are non-black and you say the N-word, it's going to sting. So you want to have people who are in your corner, who are black, who will support you and love on you, regardless of where you're from. And those are in those racial affinity spaces, those black, black cultural centers, those black student unions, those brotherhoods, those sister circles. Right. So that's why I feel like you just want to have that almost as like a safety net. Really quick, you said HSI, and that's I know you all are in academia, oh, and you yeah. all are PhDs over here. Can y'all <laughs> let, let us let us comment, folks? No, what is the HSI? Because <laughs> I, I I googled it real quick, but can you give some context? behind that as well, because I wasn't familiar with that in general. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. So HSI, Hispanic Serving Institution, right? So at a lot of HSIs or Hispanic Service Institutions, you have a lot of Latine, Latinx students, right? And th there's this whole idea that, okay, oh, we're all people of color. You might've heard the term BIPOC, right? <laughs> you might've heard the term BIPOC. I was about to make a bad joke about like Tupac's cousin or something anyway, but it's not my favorite phrase, but, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color. And it kind of lumps us all together in, in a way, but really black people are distinct, right? As all different races and groups are. But one thing that's common about non-black people of color is that in some ways they can leverage and often do like engage in anti-blackness. So that's why I'm, I say like, even if you think like, okay, there's a lot of people of color here, people of color does not equate to black. Thank you for clarifying that. And so we recognize also that being Black, like we're not monolithic, right? And so you were suggesting that 
students when they get to campus that they join like a black student union. But let's say that because I see this in the work that I do a lot. Let's say that the student doesn't feel as though their racial identity is aligned with them, like joining a black student union. What would you recommend would be helpful for them to get acquainted on campus? I'm going to say still go to the meetings, you know, I mean, and you don't have to be the super involved in it. You know, I I think it's just for me as someone who and this is another thing when I think about the generational divide. Right. When I was a college student, I was like, you know, very involved in the Black Student Union. We had an organization for black men on campus called the Brotherhood. I was like the president of that. My cousin was a president before me. It was that type of thing. And so I would joke with one of my other friends. I was like, yeah, we, we're, we're the we're the black communities like royalty. Like we decide who's in and out, which is a terrible thing to say. Right. But that's also what I think a lot of undergrads may be on, you know. But one of the things we would all often joke about and say was like, you know, all you have to do is show up like we're here for you. It was the students who was never around where we was like, oh, no, they don't want to be part of the black community. You know, so I think it's just important just to show face, not because you have to like do like a check the box thing, but just for you. And, and thinking about that racial identity development, that's, I think, kind of where some of that happens, because you're not going to have that development if you're not in a space to have it. I mean, granted, that student could be doing a lot of reading, a lot of self-work. But if you're thrust into those conversations or just listening, if you're just present, I think that can further the racial identity development. And, and if there's one thing that I, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but I think oftentimes black students, black people, we're very welcoming people, you know, and almost too welcoming, I'd say. Like, you know, when I get on Twitter and I, I think every, you know, every other month, you know, black folks are talking about inviting someone to the cookout, you know, and by inviting someone to the cookout, I mean, like, you know, oh, they, they get like like a black card or something like that. Or like, oh, they're an honorary black person. I think we need to do a better job of gatekeeping person. That's another that's another story. I think we're very welcoming people. So I think just showing up is a good thing. Or if you, you can find a more kind of niche group, you know, like, oh, this group is for black women in particular. That can be good, too. You don't have to be super into it, but just showing up, I think is good. You don't have to join the black fraternity or sorority, you know, just being around. I think the people is important or just showing up to events. Those were such great points. And you hit a nerve with a cookout comment. So Don, we need to do an episode about that. Cause I'm like, if you're not supporting the black community financially and you're not advocating for us, you're not a real ally, you can't come to the cookout, but we're going we're gonna to talk about that part. on another episode. Okay. Cause you got to be excited over here, but it's time to shift up the energy of this episode. And Antar, because we recognize and we appreciate and celebrate the multifaceted woman, and we believe that it's okay to be bougie, classy, and ratchet, you can still be elegant elegant, and dance to strip club music, we want to invite you to the OU Blatchet segment. So do you take on the challenge? Yes. I'm, I'm nervous, but yes. <laughs> it's okay. Awesome. You'll be fine. <laughs> We got him, Dom. Okay, so we now did, that you've agreed, did. now that you've agreed and you don't know what you're agreeing to, we're going to tell you what to expect. <laughs> so we're going to ask you three questions. We're going to share three sentence completions. And we've been doing some research. We know you're a researcher. We've been doing some research on you on social media. And we have three photos of you pulled up on our big screen. This is my favorite part. Seeing our guests like, oh, shit what pictures did they find uh, i was not these, ready okay no? <laughs> so we have these photos pulled up and we'll have you choose a number out of one and three and at that point in this segment we'll look at one of those photos and we want you to give us more context about the photo that we wouldn't know just by looking at it so 
We're going to start off with the questions. Dom, do you want to start off with the first question? All right. So the first question, you know, we're going to we're going to ease you in. What's the best piece of wisdom or advice you've ever received? Best piece of wisdom or advice I've ever received from my my late grandmother every every day before I, I used to live with me and my mom and sisters live with my grandparents until we were in the eighth eighth grade. And every day until she like, you know, she wasn't even able to speak anymore. She would say if she was able to, if she was there before I went to school, she would say, do your best work. And that's that's it. You know, you can't go wrong with that. Do your best work. And I think about what that means meant for her to say as well. Being a product of Tougaloo College, you know, at the top of her class, but wasn't able to get those top jobs because she was a black woman. So for her to say, do your best work and with a smile for me, I have no choice but to kind of take that wisdom. So that's always it. Do, do my best work. That is a great lifelong piece of wisdom there. So thank you to your grandma for sharing that with us. Now we're definitely going to shift up the energy after after that particular question, the way you answered that. So this question or the four words that I'm going to share with you, Antara, this, you can add whatever context you'd like to this, but the four words are twerk or two-step. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I, so I'm just adding, adding words to this? Is that it? I mean, so, I'm a... You Pick get to one. choose between Which one them. you going to do? Oh, I mean, I can't say both. We're talking about multifaceted, right? So, <laughs> yes. Okay. I, 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 would say, yeah. I would say both, but <laughs> at, at my big age, typically <laughs> I'm more of a, a two step, a two step king. But, you know, yeah, you, you catch me on the wrong, on, on, the, on the right night, I should say, you know, it could, it could be twerk as well. So. <laughs> All right. We, we appreciate that multifacetedness. All right. So the next question, what is the sexiest item that you own? My bookcase is terrible. My bookcase is it. And I, I mean, and that's just, maybe I'm just too much of a nerd, but I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, wow. You know, but uh, definitely my bookcase, all the books I have, like that's my, that's, that's my thing, you know? <laughs> I know that's not fun, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. Yes. The mind is the mind can be a very sexy organ. So there I, we and, go. And I judge I judge people by their books too. You know, I'll go to someone's house if I'm going to like a you know, someone I'm dating and I, you know, if I see the wrong books in there, it might be it. Like that's a, that might be a red flag for me, you know. I won't get into which books are red flags because that would be controversial. That was my next question. Books are these, right? You know, I I mean, this is very controversial. I think the moms out there listening want to know. You know, everyone's going to say The Alchemist is like a life-changing book. It's not. Maybe it's like a cute story, but you need more than that. You know, like, don't tell me The Alchemist. It's a cute story, you know, but I'm going to stop there. But yeah. Uh Uh-oh. You don't want people coming after you in the comments like, what do you say? That's my book. Okay, well, we'll change the subject. We got you. We got you. We'll change the subject. So now we're going to move on to the sentence completions. And the first sentence completion is one question or topic I wish people asked me about more often is. I would say something about like income, income inequality, wealth, because wealth matters so much and income matters so much. You know, I think you are talking more about, you know, being bougie, being whatever. Right. Like even. Black wealth is just such an interesting thing. Black income is, and even with a high income, a lot of us don't have that wealth. So it shapes how we move and even shapes how we have to act with higher incomes, right? So I, I just think we should have more transparent conversations about wealth. You are not going to believe this. Go ahead, Don, tell them. Yeah, so, you know, 
as we were putting this segment together, our next sentence completion actually is the one thing I wish people would share in terms of income and wealth and transparency is. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> that's, that's wild. Yeah, because I, I really be thinking about that. But the one thing, share, I mean, I think it's good to share income. I'm always transparent about how much I make, but I also think it's helpful to say like, yeah, like, do you come from a super rich family? Like, because that can give very, you know, I mean, I look on LinkedIn and there's all these inspirational stories, you know, about coming from nothing. And it's like, oh, that that nothing is doing a lot of work sometimes for certain people, you know? So I'm, I'm always curious about that. Well, like, where do you really come from? How are your parents supporting you in this? You know, so to give people better ideas of what security they had when they were making these risks. Cause it's easier to be risky when you have like a, a big support system, you know? That's a really good point because people out here comparing their lives to someone else. And you're like, they got yes. a rich dad, a, a literal rich dad over there funding their dream as they yes. come from nothing, air quotes, mm -hmm. right? So, yes, very great question. So, into our last sentence completion here for you is before we dive into the photo, is what I love most about myself is. I mean, what this is, this is very hard. I love everything about myself, you know. Um, I mean, even even my receding hairline, I love it too, you know, because it, it it did its work while while I could, you know. And I'm I'm grateful for my big forehead my, or my five head, if you will, because when it's time for me to go bald, I'm I'm gonna look good. I was bald before, so I'm thankful for that, you know. I'm thankful for my struggling beard because it, it's still here, you know. What I mean, it's it's coming in. It's still coming in at 33, you know, like it's aspirational. So. I don't know. I, I've been in the big, I've always been on a journey of like self-discovery and self-love. And I, I just love everything about myself. But I'll say, yeah, I, I love my mind, you know, like and, and what I'm able to think about and grapple with and show empathy for and care for and that type of thing. So I, I like how I think. Great answers. All right now. So we have some photos pulled up of you on the big screen. But what we want you to do first is share a number out of one in three, and then we'll reveal that photo. And we'd love for you to describe the photo first because some people will only be listening to the audio. So describe the yeah. photo and then give us some context about the photo that we wouldn't know by looking at it. So what number do you choose? Uh, number one. Oh, okay, this is a good one. Get ready, y'all, get ready, get ready. This is a good photo. Okay, and here we go. You should be able to see the photo in one second. There we go. <laughs> This is, oh man, the memories. So this is a, a picture of me. I think I was with, with a slightly stronger hairline. I might've been 20, I was in my twenties. I think it was 26, 27. And it's me and three other people in like a boardroom, like yeah, bricks in the back, random portraits there. And we're looking very professional. So on the left of me is my buddy, Carlos. On the right of me, my friend, mentor, Zoe, and my other friend, Tatia. And basically we were working on a grant project called First in the World, where we were trying to, I, I was just, a, I was a graduate assistant on the project. And basically we were working to use technology, specifically games to increase students' college going like awareness, basically. So it was this big multi-million dollar project. And we we're seeing how this, how with it all this one game could help students learn about college. And this photo is from like a story, the Daily Trojan, which is USC's newspaper did on the program. So yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice diversity shot too. You know, like you look at it, you're like, ah, oh, look at this 
you know, kind of coalition here. That was such a good description of the picture, but also the contents behind it. And congratulations to you all for that. Yeah, for sure. And thank, thank you for participating <laughs> in this segment with us. We're going to jump back into more of the professional questions, but this was a really fun segment. So thank you for participating fun. with us. Yeah. Yay. All right, Don, let's see. What is our next question? All right, lady, it's about that time. Dom and I want to share a few sponsors with you that we believe you'd enjoy. So stay tuned, get those promo codes, and we'll hop right back into this informative conversation. Lady, as you know, this month is Women's History Month, and it's a great opportunity to highlight the stories of Black women specifically. Black representation holds significant importance in conveying possibilities to everyone not just those of us in the Black community. I can recall growing up watching Oprah Winfrey and the Black newscasters in my hometown of New Orleans, and it showed me the importance of sharing my own stories and using my own voice. Well, the next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's latest collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today told from a unique Black perspective. From Tracy Ellis Ross to Beyonce's Renaissance, Michelle Obama to the women behind the Montgomery bus boycott, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. What I love most about Black stories, Black truths is the fact that the stories are from us and they cover topics we want to hear. I recently listened to an episode called Tracy Ellis Ross is an Icon and Our Favorite Rich Auntie. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to hear her perspective on her new projects, what she loves most about podcasts, and how she feels about being called the rich black auntie. It was good. Now, you know, black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be told about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. So our next question is... For those who don't know what this is, what can you tell us what is college readiness and how can black students prepare for college, specifically those who are not attending an HBCU? 
So college, right, kind of what you said, it's a student's, how prepared is a student to attend and get accepted to college and also persist through college? And there are different ways of thinking about college readiness. There's cognitive and non-cognitive aspects of college readiness. What do I mean by that? Cognitive meaning like, all right, what's your GPA? What's your SAT or ACT scores? That type of thing. So if we're looking at numbers, and we know there are also a lot of issues with these tests, right? So, but these tests are ways institutions are using to see, okay, can this student succeed based on what they know, right? Again, not saying that these things are like the right ways to ascertain someone's cognitive abilities. But yeah, so there's cognitive aspects like, okay, so what's your SAT score? Are you going to get, or do you, are you going to have a high likelihood of getting into this school based on your SAT score? Non-cognitive aspects of college readiness are the things that are more difficult to kind of measure. So how dedicated someone is to something, right? This whole idea of grits, so, you know, I don't like the term that much, but like how how hard someone is willing to work towards something is a student. Does the student know that they can and should ask questions if they're confused about an assignment? You know, what do they know about that college? How What do they know about navigating different spaces? Right. So it's all like kind of the intangible aspects of college, like, yeah, uh, help seeking, that type of stuff. Right. So all the intangible aspects of uh, college going and college persistence that students kind of should develop or can develop. And as far as black students, I think there's almost like a difference. I don't know. It's like there's the curriculum. And then, you know, throughout academia, people talk about the hidden curriculum, stuff that's not seen, but you just kind of learn on the fly or, or yeah, that, that type of thing. So there's like a hidden curriculum, I think, for black students attending non-black universities. Right. So for me, at least, and I think, you know, a lot of parents or teachers will say this. I, I thought going to tutoring wasn't the thing to do, even though my school offered free tutoring. And I was like, dang, I don't want, want them to know that I'm dumb or I'm struggling, you know, but. You know, as a lot of folks and counselors will tell you, no, no, oftentimes a lot of the students who are doing really well, they're doing well because they're going to tutoring or doing really well because their parents back in high school paid for a private tutor, you know? So it, it, this way, tutoring is a way of leveling the playing field. So even once I, so once I figured that, I was like, oh, okay, I started, you know, getting my free tutoring all the time. But anyway, so knowing that you can ask questions, you know, knowing that what office hours is and that you should go to office hours and get to know your professors, knowing, I think, again, as I mentioned earlier, that black spaces are for you and you probably will need them because there might be and most likely will be some type of racist incident happening while you're at the institution. Knowing that if you are the only black student in class, your professor is probably going to notice if you're absent. <laughs> That's just one of those things, you know, like you stick out. It is what it is. You don't learn that until you go there, until someone tells you knowing that if you're a black student, that it might be more difficult for you to find working groups in the class because people unfortunately have these preconceived racist notions about black people and they might not want to work with you. So kind of stealing yourself or knowing different ways that we can, I don't know, I think about parents and teachers, the different ways that we can kind of prime students and prepare them for the, you know, sometimes uh, unfriendly and racist interactions they may have. Uh, I'm rambling, so I'll stop now. 
No, that's good. That's a lot. I'm like, damn, it's just saying, I'm just thinking about all the invisible things that we hold on our shoulders as black people before we even step into the room. And totally. that's exhausting. Like, damn. But thank you for that overview. That's super helpful. Now I went to a PWI, although if I could go back in time, I would have gone to an HBCU, but I remember doing orientation. One of the speakers basically had a certain portion of students stand up and he was like, you know, the people that are standing, you'll probably, you know, graduate in four years and those sitting something, something in life will happen, right? Just kind of to give us the visual that this is really important, but also some people are not going to finish this journey. And so many of us know that the first two years of college are critical for student retention. So Antar, in your experience, we, we'd love to know, you know, what parents can do to amplify the efforts to keep their scholars enrolled and returning the following year. But can you talk a bit about your first two years or students that you know, and what's been really helpful for them in those first two years to ensure that they finish through? You already kind of shared some tips, but if you can share more, that'd be super helpful. Again, I mean, I think I can't emphasize enough how big the organization part is, because that's where you meet a lot of friends, where you meet a lot of like-minded folks. That's where you're, you will meet people who who will miss you if you stop going there. You know, I did some research on Black engineering students, and there were some there were some students at this institution, a predominantly institution, and they were saying the only reason why they stayed in their major of computer engineering or computer science was because of their Black friends within the class, because they didn't want them to be the only one, you know? So this is there's this whole idea of like linked fate. Dawson, political scientists, put forth this idea called linked fate. And black people historically have voted in a way where across income, like from low income to high income, black people more than a lot of other races tend to vote similarly. And the idea behind that is that black people tend to see we're linked in a way. So we're only as good as someone who is for real struggling, right? So that like when we see someone really killing it. That's for us, too. You know, so like, I mean, I think, of you know, I wasn't around during this time or watching movies. But when when Rocky, whatever Rocky came out and it was Rocky versus Apollo Creed, why were all the black people? I'm, I'm generalizing here. Right. But Dallas and Donuts, a lot of black people were, were rooting for Apollo Creed because it's that idea of late fate. Right. We, we see ourselves and other people. And so this comes to fore in the predominantly white setting or predominantly non-black setting. So that's why I say I really emphasize the organizational aspect, because you're going to have people who want to pour into you. Get to know faculty, even if you don't again, get to know faculty, because those are people who, who write your recommendations. Those will be the people who bump you up from that B plus to that A minus. Those will be the people who will understand if, you know, things go in your family. But you want them to know you beyond being the Black person in class, right? Because you're always Black, but then have them get to know you. What else? I mean, also just, I think it's important to, if you can, find study groups in your class. That That's super important. Find those friendly folks who are just you know, like, all right, yeah, like, let's, let's just get it. Let's work on this problem set together. You know, having people who are friends within your major matters a lot. And find, like, I think as parents, make sure that your kids are doing stuff for fun. You know, like, are they going out on the weekends? You know, like, are they going to parties? Who are they hanging out with? What, like, I think that matters so much because if you find in a, in a, on a college campus that that campus is fun, it's a fun space. It's a joyous space. You're more likely, I think, to to persist. So I'm I'm really big on you know I'm trying big on going where I'm celebrated. You know, so I, I was never one to be like you know I grew up in D.C. when it was like still kind of chocolate city. So I, I've always kind of loved being black. You know, with a last name like mine, Teacher Bakunda. You know, I was very aware <laughs> of my blackness. You know, our racial identity development started early. So. 
I wasn't I was wasn't trying to like push into different groups of, you know, who were non-black and wasn't friendly to me, you know. So also in, in, encourage your 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 you know your kids and students to go where they're celebrated, go to the groups that are showing you love because you know ra- racism will tire you out. <laughs> you know, racism kills people for real. You know, so I, I mean, there, there's different studies that show, you know, like, you know, like one of the biggest things I think about with racism is that like white people sleep better than than we do. And they literally sleep better. Like, that's deep. So I'll be thinking about that sometimes when I deal with like some racist stuff. I'm like, did that person who asked like, you know, who who asked if I was a student in the class that I was teaching, like they're not thinking about this right now. You know, they're watching friends and, you know, eating some popcorn, you know. And they're going to have like a unseasoned dinner after this and they're going to sleep just fine. You know, so I try to think I'm not trying to give them that power, you know. And so I, I find a space where I can like tell my friends about it. They can validate me and I keep it moving because there's this thing called like racial battle fatigue. You know, William Smith coined the term. He's a scholar at uh, University of Utah. And racial battle fatigue is the idea or concept that black students and students or students of color more broadly as well when they're in like a unfriendly racial environment they start to display symptoms of soldiers who are on the battlefield right it's like weathering that black students have to deal with in these different spaces right like so you're always on this kind of hyper alert hyper alert kind of feel like are they going to say some racist are they really said that wait was that racist i thought that was my friend right so I try to knowing that kind of like that's happening. I think it's super important to be in spaces where you don't have to worry about that, you know. So as parents, it's important, I think, just to emphasize, yo, find folks where you don't have to be on the defensive like that. And also, you know, remind your kids that they're beautiful, that blackness is great. You know, if ever you see them like, you know, trying to get like you you hear it because I hear it all the time, you know, like a black student tries to get to a, a predominantly white party and they don't get allowed in. Why is that? Right. But you got to continue to pour into your students because, you know, it, it, it can be a lot, you know, just all the ways people with different identities treat us. So it's important just to continue to pour into them and validate their blackness, their mind, the blackness is, is beautiful and go in spaces where they see that. I love that. And just finding spaces where they are going to be celebrated. So I want to circle back. You mentioned that the importance of students seeking out Black faculty, right, and other Black staff on campuses as sources of support. Now, I mean, I've been a faculty member and I know I tried to make sure that I was approachable, but I also remember being a student and being extremely scared to approach faculty. And so what tips would you offer for students who are like, I mean, this black professor, like they're doing all the things like Professor Antar is like super dope. Like I don't like he's a superhero. Like, I don't know if I can go up to him. How what tips would you give students to approaching faculty and staff? Just remember, like, you know, we're people, too, you know, and I think you know, people doing the best that we can. And I think I'm trying to do the best that I can by black students as well. So for a lot of us, you know, for me. Like, that's what got me into this work. I, I think education is a vehicle for Black people just to do better in society. So I'm going to always try to avail myself to Black students. So I, I so one, assume that, you know, they want you to talk to them, you know, I think, but also I think it's helpful to have like questions for them, right? 
and show interest beyond, hey, you're black, right? So which I'll still talk to you if it's just like, you know, I want to get to know you. All right, yeah, yeah, sure. But I think it's helpful to be like, okay, what advice do you have? That's one of my questions I ask everyone. What, like, you know, this, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Based on what you know about me, what advice do you have for someone in my position? You know, whether you're a student, like undergrad, grad student, what have you, and also learn about their trajectories. What did you do to get to where you are? I see you doing this. Can you tell me more about your experience doing that? And based off of like, I think kind of like two or three simple questions like that, the conversation will start to flow. And I think it's also important, you know, just to be open to, you know, maybe you're in, I don't know, your, your English major and your comp lit professor is, you know, a white Russian woman, but like she's taking an interest in you. You know, she asks how you're doing, this, that, and the third. Talk to her, you know. Some of my biggest advocates, you know, at Brown were not black, you know, but they really looked out for me they, in, in a lot of in a lot of ways, recommended me for a lot of things. So if you, you know, your advocate does not necessarily have to be black, but I think it's important to tap into all these different, all these different kind of players on campus. Such great insight. Such great insight. We appreciate that. Okay, Antar. So we have one final question for you and then we'd love to, for you to let people know how they can support you, what a next step you would have for them would be. So this last question is, as we wait, for institutions to figure out how to not be racist, <laughs> how can Black students cultivate joy? I'm really bad at this because I'll be talking like these questions. I'm like, I, I want to give a speech about this right now. Like, you know what? I'm going to share my screen. I have a PowerPoint about this. But that's such a good, especially in light of recent events, you know, with affirmative action, we have a lot of universities showing exactly who they are. And I think it's important for parents to see that. You know, at Western Illinois University, they just came out saying like, all right, we're going to take away this diversity scholarship that we had going. And if you had it before, you're not going to have it next year. And they don't even have to do this within the within the ruling. You know, the the ruling is about admissions decisions. And also, like as far as bad as it is, they are saying in personal statements, you can mention how race shapes your life. Right. But you have schools that are going the extra mile and being like, you know what? (laughs) Ain't no diversity, nothing here. (laughs) You know, so I think it's important that we realize which schools are going the extra mile to take stuff away from diversity. Right. And of course, diversity doesn't mean blackness, but I think that's one signal for parents to be very aware of, you know. So that's one thing. It's important to see what schools are going out of their way to be racist and see which schools are making statements like, hey, we don't like what what the Supreme Court said. That's not it. Right. I mean, that's not everything, but it but it matters for university to take a stance like that. But anyway, that, that that's one thing I would say, Two, I would say as far as joy, I think it's important just to just, just know. Well, I'll say this. It, it's and I always think about the self-concepts and like, you know, just your your how do how you love yourself as a black person. And I'll share this one story. And I think parents have a lot to do with this. Right. And I think just knowing when you're in like for me, at least when I was at Brown, it was the first time that I was around so many non-black people. And I always thought people were staring at me, you know, like or just, oh, what is he doing? What like, I always thought I was being judged, you know. And there was one time that's TMI. Anyway, I, I was I was I was pledging, you know, my, my fraternity is an anti-hazing I mean, organization. But, you know, I was doing that whole thing. And I remember like there was some. Um, watermelon in the cafeteria and the watermelon looked fantastic it looked so good i was like and i love watermelon right you know like i love it but i remember there were like all these white people behind me in the cafeteria and i was like damn they're gonna see me playing out the stereotype dang that's crazy 
And, you know, if it was like the year before, I probably just would have skipped out on the watermelon. But I was like, you know what? Nah, I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to have this watermelon and they can think what they think. You know, and it was just a wild moment where I was like, wait, no one jumped out and called me the N word. (laughs) Like, you know, and even if they were thinking that it doesn't bother me at all. So how how are we having conversations with our youth, with our students, with our kids to make sure that they know that you know, they have the right to just exist and navigate campus as anyone else. You know, people are going to be racist. And I think that's an important thing. People are going to be racist. And I think about that, uh, you know, it's like near the end of Beloved between Baby Suggs and I think her, her granddaughter or whatever. And Baby Suggs is like, you know, told Denver, like all how terrible and racist the world is, you know, and Denver's about to leave. And Denver's like, you know, but you said there's no escape. You know, you said there's no escape. And escaped from like anti-blackness and, you know, this the racial violence and baby Suggs, you know, grandma, I think grandma is just like, you know, yeah, there ain't, (laughs) you know, and she's like, well, why do you want me to leave our our farm if if, if the world's so terrible and racist? And she said, you know it and go out the yard. Know it and go out the yard. And I think that's experience that we that's what we have to like kind of impress upon our kids, impress upon Black students. You have to know what type of institution this is. You have to know not everyone's going to treat you as, as a human, you know, but you have to go out the yard. You have to keep living. You can't, you, you can't let their perceptions of you dictate how you move about these spaces. So I think having those conversations is super important. Also being, like I said, I was always, you know, kind of bang this drum. Like you have to be around black people as well. Even if that's not where you're from, you know, just knowing that you have that space is that's where you'll be able to cultivate joy as well. So. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This was this was a great interview. And I'm sure that our parents and family members and the students alike have taken lots of gems from what you said. I'm sure there's going to be some pausing and rewinding to catch all the wisdom that you shared with us. And so for those who want to, one, read your book and two, stay in touch where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. My handle for as long as Twitter is existing. It's it's my last name, Tichabakunda. I tweet mainly about anime and, you know, I'm not even going to hold y'all, but I will tweet about, about my research as well. But I'm on LinkedIn as well. My book is called Black Campus Life. It's available online as well for free. So if you're curious at all, it's, it's available open access. So you can just download it. My, my biggest thing, I wanted people to read my work. You know, you write stuff and you hope that people read it. So it's always, it always makes me happy when people read my work. So if I can make it free for people, that makes me happy. So it's available on Amazon, available through SUNY Press. If you search my last name, Tichabakunda, it'll it'll pop up. Yeah, that's it. You know, yeah, any, any way I can support, I'm here. But yeah, thank you. Hey, lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California? and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D.com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note 
that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website at herspacepodcast.com and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I am worthy of a happy life. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.